Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Paul says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, did anybody realize that it seems like he's piled a lot right there in, in, in one little section? Well, actually, Paul's nearing the end of his letter, and like he has done in many of his other letters, and we're going to take a look at a few of them, he is piling a lot of encouragement and instruction into one big lump. As we read that, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And you're, half the time as I'm reading it, you're probably going, wait, I didn't finish catching the last one, and now he's giving another instruction. And I didn't finish catching that one, and now he's giving another instruction. Slow down, Paul. Well, I'm going to show you that he has done this more than once, but I want you to be listening now because I'm going to give you a quiz when I'm done reading to you some of his other letters and how he's done this. I want you to be listening for a common theme, a common, actually a bunch of common themes that are in the section we just read in verses 9 through 21 and some of the others. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 28. You'll see Paul do it again here near the end of his letter to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Listen to how he lumps a whole bunch of encouragement and instruction together. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go to Ephesians 4. Look at verses 25 through 32. Near the end of his letter, that was, we have to the Ephesians, but it actually was a cyclical letter to be passed around to all the churches. Listen to what he says near the end of this one in chapter 4, starting in verse 25. He says this, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no, the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jump over to Colossians chapter 3. Here again we see Paul and there the end of his letter to the church in Colossae. Write this, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Not that I've, sorry, I'm in Philippians here. Let me get to Colossians. Colossians 3 starting in, in verse 12. He says this, he says, 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, <coughs> excuse me, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So would you not agree that Paul seems to have a pattern of in most of his letters, just near the end, piling a whole bunch of instruction and encouragement on at the end, right before he gets near the conclusion? Would you at least agree with that? What are some common themes, though, that you saw there in all of these? Put off and take on. Put off and put on. Very good. What else? Love one another. Love one another. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Forgive one another. Overcome. Overcome evil with good. Unity. Unity. Be humble. Be patient in tribulation. Correct? Actually, I've made a couple of notes here myself. I wrote down, love each other, forgive each other, avoid evil, pursue what is good, be patient in suffering. There's a bunch. Did y'all hear thankfulness in there as well as a common theme? Now, let me just stop real quick and let's deal with this one or two of these things about forgiving one another and loving one another. We're guess we're going to focus tonight quite a bit. Why do you think Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would in almost all of his letters... Say over and over and over, love each other, forgive each other, be patient with each other. Why would you think he'd have to keep doing that? Because it's going to be a problem. It's going to be something we all need to consider. And would we not agree that's one of the issues in the church even today is how Christians treat each other. Especially as we start fighting for truth and Standing up for what is right versus what we think is wrong. We have a tendency to attack each other in the process. And God knows that he has left us here as pillars of the truth. He's left us here as salt and light. But unfortunately, one of the things that's going to happen when we start feeling a leading of the Lord to stand up for right and wrong is we're going to all of a sudden start attacking. And the Bible's real clear that we have to be real careful that we don't do that with each other. And we're going to spend some time tonight praying that the Holy Spirit would really let us uh, let these things sink into our heart. But before I go and break down in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, some of these instructions and encouragement that Paul wrote to the Romans, I started to realize something else. You know, this common theme of forgive one another and love one another and be patient in tribulation because it's going to get bumpy. Paul wasn't the only one who left these instructions right before he was leaving. You know who else did? Jesus did. Go back with me to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17, and then verses 33 through 35. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 12 through 17. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a, is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jump down to verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Look at chapter 16. Look at verses 32 through 33. John 16, verses 32 through 33, Jesus said this, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Now, we're going to see tonight as we get to the end of our study that something Jesus says here is extremely important, and we'll come back to it in a little bit. But I also want to take a second to clarify John 13 and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and saying, now that I've done this for you, you need to do this for each other. Listen closely. For years, we've had it taught that Jesus was teaching them to serve one another. He took the role of the servant, dressed himself as a servant, and he washed their feet. And for years, preachers have said that we are to serve one another just like Jesus did. And yes, we should. The Bible talks about that. But I want you to listen closely. I don't believe Jesus was teaching about service in John 13. You see, remember when he went to wash Peter's feet? What did Peter say? He said, Lord, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. I'm not going to let you serve me. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, you don't know what I'm doing right now. In other words, you think this is about service. It's not about service. Later, you'll understand what I'm doing. Right now, you don't understand. You think you know what I'm doing, but you don't. And if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. Well, of course, Peter being Peter says, well, give me the whole bath then. I want, don't just do my feet. Give me the head to the, the I want the full wash and wax. Peter, Jesus says to Peter, he said, you're already clean. A man who's been made clean doesn't need a bath anymore. He needs his feet washed. What's the feet washing represent then? If we've already been made clean, but we need our feet washed, what is it's sanctification? In other words, you and I have already been forgiven of our sins, correct? Yet we still sin, do we not? And there's a, a daily cleansing process that the Holy Spirit does. We've already been given the bath, but... When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Jesus was doing was he was actually washing Peter's feet for what Peter was about to do. Peter, Jesus knew, was about to deny him. And Jesus was forgiving him beforehand for what he was going to do later. Do you understand? In other words... You don't know what I'm doing right now, but later it'll make sense to you. Once you do what you're going to do, you're going to look back and realize I already knew and I already forgave you. And if I, your master and Lord, have treated you that way, that's how you should treat each other. Folks, let me say something to you. Christians are going to hurt Christians. Husbands are going to hurt wives. Wives are going to hurt husbands. But the sooner we acknowledge ahead of time, Lord, you've forgiven me and thank you for that. And you forgive me even for the stuff I'm going to do tomorrow because you have that attitude toward me. Give me that attitude toward the people around me. People say, well, I'll forgive those people when they ask for it. You ever heard that? Soon as they ask for it, then I'll forgive them. Is that the attitude of Jesus? Was Jesus up on the cross saying as soon as they ask for it, I'll give it? No, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen himself prayed that same prayer when they were killing him. Folks, listen to me. Jesus was teaching them about love. And this is what he said. A new command I give you. I could show you in the Old Testament how the Bible's real clear that we're to love one another is in the Old Testament. So why did Jesus say a new commandment I give you? That you're to love each other as I have loved you. This type of attitude of being willing to forgive and to love, well, as you're going to see in just a little bit, and even show honor toward the people around us, is what makes it different from what the Old Testament talked about. Jesus says, I want you to have the same attitude toward each other that I have towards you. I've already forgiven you for all the stuff you're going to do. And I love you. And I'm not going to hold it against you. I want you to have that attitude toward each other. And by the way, as we get into where we're going tonight, if the Holy Spirit brings some individuals to your mind that rub you the wrong way, you might need to start asking him to show you what he would like you to do with that. So go back to Romans 12 now, and let's start to unpack what God had Paul write here. I'm going to read to you just the two verses we're going to cover tonight. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So who are we to love? One another. Now, let me clarify what the one another means. Are we to love the world or the church? Both. Does God love the world? Yes, he loves the world. But the Bible also says 
that we should even go beyond. We love the world, but we should even love those within the family of Christ even more. That's why you had that wrestling match with how to answer that. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 9 and 10. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I've seen this as a pastor over the years, and maybe you've experienced it in your own home. Have you ever noticed that people are a lot more forgiving toward people around them, and they're less forgiving to the people in their family? Part of that is because subconsciously we think, well, they'll forgive me. <laughs> Their family, they, they have to put up with me. Let me just tell you, the Bible actually says we, before we ever demonstrate the love of Christ out in the world, it needs to be seen in our homes. I could go on and on, and I'm not going to chase this rabbit very long, but over and over the Bible talks about how, like for example, when it talks in 1 Timothy 3 of the qualifications for those who are going to be elders and spiritual leaders in the church, after having done it in the home, then they're ready to serve in the church. When Paul talked to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, and he was saying, saying goodbye to them, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock that's under your care. Folks, let me say something to you. The Bible says that your love for the world is phony if it's not seen in your home and experienced in your home first. It has to be seen there, not just in your personal homes, but also in the church. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Something kind of cool happened yesterday. Uh, my son and I were out and we ran into somebody that we had never met. And in just five minutes, this whole conversation just exploded right there. This man named Gene, he was from Memphis. He found out I was a preacher. He goes, amen. I go, are you a believer? He goes, yep. I said, how'd you come to know Jesus? Now, at this point, I don't know he's from Memphis. I don't know he's from out of town. He was in here visiting a son and daughter who walked away from the Lord, and they live here in Palm Bay, and he was just coming to try to love on them a little bit for a couple of days. He said, pray for them, and then he had to head back to Memphis. I said, I wonder how you came to know Christ, and he said, I was in the Navy, and he said, let me just tell you, I was an alcoholic. I was a, a sexual pervert. I was a murderer, and he said, there were two guys that were in my bunk, and they were Christians. And they kept telling me about Jesus, and I wanted nothing to do with it. He goes, I didn't believe it, didn't want anything to do with it. I loved my lifestyle. He said, but there was one thing that I could not get away from. These two rascals were happy, and I wanted that. And they loved each other, and I wanted that. And he said, after about a year or two of dealing with that, I finally said, okay, tell me about this Jesus guy. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I've been saved, he said, since 1980. But how did he come to faith? Because he saw the love of two Christians for each other and he knew it was real. Let your love be genuine. Oh, we're real good at talking about love. But let me ask you this question. Do people really know you love them? Do they feel like you love them? Do they see you love your wife? Do they see you love your kids? Do they see you love your church? Or do they hear you talking about the problems in your church? Go to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Listen to what God's through, the, through John says in, ver, in chapter 3 verses 11 through 18. He said, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's the kind of love, that's the new command. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I made a little note in my Bible 
I wrote Romans 12, 9, genuine love right there. It's not just in word, but in deed. Go to 1 John 4, look at verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of those passages that I went back and read from, you're going to see a common theme jumping out from these passages. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verses 9 through 12. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Again, our lives to be lived in such a way that the outsiders notice and they're watching we're not to be dependent on anybody. We're we willing to work, trusting in the Lord and loving each other. But look closely at what he says. He said, I've heard of your love for one another. And you've been taught by God how to love each other. But here's my command and my encouragement to you. Do it more. Do it more. That's why back in Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, at the end of it, he talks about it. And we're going to get to that in just a second. He talks about outdo one another in showing honor. Folks, you might say, I'm pretty good at loving people. That's fine. Are you doing it more and more? Well, come on now. What do you want from me? See, that's where we're going to go a little later on. I'm, I'm going to show you that all these instructions that we're going to look at tonight and in two weeks, you're going to find you're going to have a real problem. Allison noticed that Paul was saying, put off and put on. You're going to find that you're going to have a problem. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've tried to say no to evil and yes to the good. But you've struggled, haven't you? And you've not done so well as you ought. Got good news for you. The answer is going to surprise you, but I'm not going to get there just yet. We got a little bit more foundation to lay. But go back to first, back to Romans chapter 12 and look again at verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. I don't know if you caught this or not. In our loving people, we must never approve of sin. We're to abhor what is evil and hold on to what is good. And we're to do this in our own lives as well. Jump down to verse 21. Look at verse 12, chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He starts off this section by saying, let love be genuine and abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And then he ends it by saying, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We live in a world today that is saying that if you love me, you'll approve of what I'm doing. If you love me, you'll think that my lifestyle is okay. If you say what I'm doing is wrong, if you say what I'm doing is sin, you don't love me. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, and we'll look at that passage in a little bit. The Bible teaches that we're to speak the truth in love. We have to be willing to say, I love you enough to say what you're doing is not right before God and actually will be harmful for you. If you're afraid to tell somebody what they're doing is wrong, you love yourself more than you love them because you're more concerned about how they feel about you, whether or not they're going to like you. And you really are loving yourself, not loving them. But I have to be real careful before I go there, because unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians that have no problem telling people that they're in sin. But that same time, do those people feel like you love them when they tell them that? No. Think about Jesus. He lived and walked with sinners. He ate with them. He hung out with them to the point that the Pharisees were even questioning his religiosity because he eats with sinners. Yet the sinners knew that Jesus loved them. But Jesus, did Jesus ever approve of their lifestyle? Not once. 
after going and honoring Zacchaeus, who was a thief in front of all those people, in front of him, his, in front of all those people saying, I'm going to eat in your house today. If a rabbi came to your house, that was a great honor. In front of all those people, he honored Zacchaeus. But we don't know what the conversation was, but we know that after lunch, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay everybody back four times as much as I stole. Jesus obviously dealt with some sin in Zacchaeus' life, but Zacchaeus knew that he loved him. The woman caught in the act of adultery. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, hey, you're doing all right. How about the woman at the well? Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> well, how did she perceive that? Because he just said to her, go call your husband, knowing full well that she wasn't married. And she goes, I don't have a husband. She goes, he goes, I know. You've been married five times and you're living with somebody right now. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. But you know what? She ran into town to tell everybody, I think I just met the Messiah. And he went out of his way to come talk to me when men would never associate with a woman, especially someone like me. He loved me, yet he wasn't afraid to point out my sin. Folks, I don't think we've earned the right to point out people's sin until they know we love them. That's something I've had to learn as a dad. I love my kids. I love my kids. And part of my responsibility as a parent is to point out things that need work. I'm trying to help them become proper men and women. But I made the mistake as a younger dad of correcting a lot to the point, though, even though I was doing it in love, they didn't hear love. They thought dad's a harsh, judgmental corrector. Until God began to open my eyes and say, Jim, um, you need to pour so much love into their hearts that when you make a withdrawal, <laughs> it, your, their bank account can handle it. You know what I'm saying? So the point that I became known as the dad who loved and was fun and I encouraged and I praised. And then whenever dad would say, hey, can we talk about something that needs a little work? They were ready to receive it. Why? They knew I loved them. But before it was, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. In my heart, I thought I was helping, but I wasn't. All they heard was condemnation and judgment. Your heavenly Father is continually pouring his love into our hearts, through the Bible says in Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. And when he corrects, if you feel like he's mad and he's judging you, you haven't come to understand the love of God. More on that later in a little bit. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 20 and 21. First Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let me ask you this question. Are you processing everything that comes in through your eyes and your ears? Are you processing it? A lot of you process what you take in through your mouth. You look at carbs and salt and sugar and all this stuff. That's part of how I've lost all the weight. I started just counting calories and keeping track of calories. And my wife and I have an app and we process ahead of time. What's how many calories is this going to be? How many calories is that going to be? I think we're going to go here. You know, that kind of stuff. But the Bible says it's healthy for us to process what comes in. Are you processing what comes in? You're to test everything against the scriptures. Allow the spirit of God to show you truth versus error. And that's how you can abstain and abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. But do you know the difference? Do you know the difference? The Holy Spirit and the scripture and the word of God, they'll all work together with you to show you what is right. But you have to process it. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 5 through 14. Colossians 3 starting in verse 5. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Remember that foot washing thing? And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Go to Philippians. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any Excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I'm going to have to go there. Some of you might need to turn your televisions off the news channel for a little while before you can get, go back and turn it back on. Listen to me very carefully and let me speak to you in love. I'm not saying that TV is wrong and watching the news is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But the Bible does teach us that if there is an area of our life that has gotten out of control, we need to kind of put it on hold for a little while. It's a form of fasting, if you will. There are those who, I heard this illustration put really well. He said, if you got a piece of cardboard and it gets bent, you can't get it back to where it's supposed to be by just putting it back to where it was, right? It's gonna still be bent a little. How, what have you gotta do to get the cardboard back to where it was? You gotta bend it the other direction for a while. You understand? And then it can come back to where it was. Something in your life like Fox News, CNN, whatever it is, has it become a problem for you? So that's all you can think about is all the problems and all the blue and red and all this mess. You might have gotten your cardboard bent in the wrong direction. You might need to put the TV in the closet or just leave it shut off for a while, bend it in the other direction. But actually, you become a legalist with cardboard just bent in the other direction. If you say, it's a sin to ever watch TV. Anybody that watches that stuff, you need to put it in the closet like I did. No, 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 Everything is okay if it's used properly. But if the Spirit of God is showing you whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, whatever's worthy of praise, think on these things. We need to learn how to test everything. Hold on to the good, chuck the evil. Because whatever we take in with our eyes and our minds and our thoughts, that will affect us. The eye is the lamp of the body. And whatever, if, you, if your eye is dark, your body's going to be dark. You want to love people and you want your love to be genuine? you got to know what's good and think on those things. Know what's evil. Let it go. Let it go. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture that you know kind of well because you've probably been to a lot of weddings. And you might even have this cross stitched on your wall somewhere. But listen closely to 1 Corinthians 13. We want to talk about genuine love. Look at verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Let me back up. Genuine love is patient. Genuine love is kind Genuine love does not envy. Genuine love doesn't brag or boast. Genuine love is not arrogant or rude. Genuine love does not insist on its own way. Genuine love is not irritable or resentful. Genuine love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Genuine love rejoices with the truth. Genuine love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Genuine love never ends. Now, again, I'm not going to ask for an answer here, but I want you to, as the Spirit's speaking to you, there are a couple of those that the Holy Spirit said, hey, this is an area that might need some work. If so, i got good news for you. If you say to yourself, first of all, I'm going to work on that, you've already blown it. You've already blown it. You can't. When I used to do a lot of weddings as a pastor, and I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of glad I don't do a lot of weddings anymore. Never did love doing anything that was the professional reverend. Would you say a few words? I never did like. But whenever I did do weddings and they wanted me to read 1 Corinthians 13, I would always tell them, unless you know Jesus and he's in control of your life, this is impossible. 
and I don't care if you have it up on the walls. You can't do it unless Christ is in you and he's in control. But Paul adds a dimension to this love for each other at the end of verse 10. Go back to Romans 12. In Romans chapter 12, we've just seen in verses 9 and 10, let love be genuine, abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he adds another aspect to it. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's not just putting up with each other and saying, I love that person. It's actually going out of your way to bless them, to honor them. I love what happened years ago. Uh, years ago, when I was pastor of a church, uh, there was a couple in the church, and they're believers, but they were kind of the Christians that were hard to like. They're the ones that thought that if you just had enough faith, you know, you'd never be sick. And, you know, they had their theology all figured out and they had God all figured out and everybody else was wrong. And they felt it was their job to point out to everybody. I mean, I remember they sat in a Sunday school class I taught one time and I showed up that Sunday and was ready to teach my class. And I had a little bit of a cold and I said, I apologize, guys, I got a cold and you're probably going to have trouble understanding me tonight to this morning. And he raised his hand and said, you know, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have that cold. And I remember seeing the faces on everybody in the classroom and I realized I got to reteach my I got to change my lesson this morning. And so I said, look, you've just made me change my lesson. And I had to reteach all these lot of new believers in that class what the Bible had to say about healing and faith and all that stuff. But this is just the kind of people they were. They were. Well, God did a work in this couple as they began to grow in their walk with the Lord. Actually, he took the husband through cancer. And God didn't heal him of cancer, even though he had the faith that if they just believed enough. And it was through the process of him realizing that their theology was wrong, they became humble and they became loving. And all of a sudden, people that would avoid this couple or wanted to reach out to them and bless them because they became the people that started to bless and outdo others. Actually, they would give a vehicle away to people. and different. It was just amazing to see what had happened. But when all of a sudden it was no longer about them and how they were right and everybody else was wrong and God humbled them, they actually then started to, re to, to reach out to people and then the church just was able to embrace them. It was just neat to watch it happen. I had one guy that would always tell me, hey, a pastor, if I won in church, it's because I knew that Robert was going to be there and... I can't go if he's going to be there. But God did a work. But look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going to make our transition to the thing that God's been showing me that I have been waiting all evening to show you. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We know verses 5 through 10, but a lot of us don't really understand verses 1 through 4. We know how we're to have this mind among us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, and how he wasn't, how even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant and humbled himself. And God's going to exalt him one day. But look at verses one through four. Paul says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Now, before Paul gives instructions of considering others more important and significant than ourselves, look at how he worded it. The only way you're going to be able to actually demonstrate this kind of love and be in unity and consider others more important than yourself is if you have encouragement from being in Christ. If you have comfort from his love, if you have participation in the Holy Spirit, if you're experiencing God's affection and sympathy. Go back to Colossians chapter three. There was something we read there that you might not have caught. Look at verse 12 again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
Did you catch it? You can't demonstrate the love of Christ until you know the love of Christ. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Is sin pleasurable? Yes, good for you. Some, the Tuesday night crowd, some said, no. No, yes it is. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something, and this will help you kind of hopefully start moving into this area that we're going to try to talk about tonight. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 24 and 25. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. It's a fleeting pleasure. And those of us who are in Christ, once we do sin, we feel the conviction and the correction and the rebuke of the Lord. He loves us. And, but when we grieve the spirit, we don't like it. But sin is pleasurable. And let me show you something that God's been showing me and he's been and starting to come out in the scripture now everywhere. We've been told to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Right. We've been told to choose not to sin, but to choose to Serve Jesus. And we know here that that's right and it's best. The word says so. But we got a problem. We know sin is pleasurable. I don't think many of us really know the joy and the pleasures of Jesus. We think that we'll experience those one day when we get to heaven. But the Bible teaches that there's a joy and a peace that passes understanding that I don't think many of us, Jim Johnson included, have really ever tasted. You see, when I was a kid, and I shared this, I think, last week a little bit, I loved corn dogs. I thought corn dogs were the bomb. But then as I got older, I had a steak one time. And you know what? If you ask me to choose between a corn dog and a steak, I'm choosing the steak because it tastes better. I'm going to ask you a question that we know the answer to. I want you to answer the first question. Don't answer the second question out loud. First question is this. Is the pleasures of Jesus, are the pleasures of Jesus now on this earth greater than the pleasures of sin? Yes. The answer is yes. You don't believe me? Go to Psalm 16. Go to Psalm 16. Look at verses 8 to the end of the chapter. I have... David says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or you'll let your nor will let you let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Go back to Psalm 30. 7, 34, Psalm 34, or forward to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Oh, the young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We have been taught and the scripture says that sin is pleasurable, but Jesus is greater. But I'm not sure many of us have ever really tasted the steak. And the Bible actually teaches, I'm going to show it to you in the time we have left tonight, that you will never really be able to demonstrate this love until you've tasted the steak. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the spirit, if you understand that you're dearly beloved, then 
you can share and consider others. When you really, 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 really understand how much God loves you, you don't care if people treat you bad because you know God loves you and you're good and you're forgiving and you're patient. You're kind. You don't rejoice at wrongdoing. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, before we go to Ephesians 1, I've got to show you something in 1 Timothy 3. Go to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verses 14 through 16. Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. All right, Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come see you. But in case I'm delayed, I've written you this letter so that you know people how to, ought to conduct themselves in the church, which is the pillar of truth. Timothy, the mystery of godliness is great. And then he gives us the answer to the mystery of godliness in the very next verse or the rest of that verse. What's the mystery of godliness? I'm sorry? It's Jesus. Did you see it? The mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Remember what Jesus said in John 16? He said, in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have stuff hitting you from all sides. Worries, anxiousness, uh, wars, diseases, all this stuff. In me, you'll have peace. You want to have a godly life? You could say, I'm going to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. I don't think you ever will until you really understand what yes to Jesus means. Because once you've tasted the joy and the peace of that really comes from walking with Jesus, you won't want corn dogs as much. But we know how good corn dogs are. I still like corn dogs. But I know a steak is better. But how many people have ever tasted in this life the joy and the peace. I have to be honest with you folks. Years ago, as pastor of a church that was exploding in growth, it had gone from 100 people to 600 people. The budget went from 300,000 to 1.2 million. Things were happening, exploding. I'm preaching on the radio. All these things are happening. And I used to sit in restaurants and look around and watch people laugh and think, I wish I could be happy. I knew I was saved. But this whole, and I had preached on joy and peace. I didn't know what it was. Until God began to take me on a journey. And I'm still growing it. I'm reading a book right now, by the way. It's a real small little book. It's written by Oswald Chambers called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. By the way, it's a hard read. I'm going to tell you right now, you read that his writing is so deep. And he uses words I have to look up. I mean, you read that book and you wish for the days of King James when it was understandable. I'm not kidding you. But the book is called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what he's writing is, is once he started to realize who Jesus really is and what we have in him right now, it pushed the other stuff out of the way. Putting off the bad and putting on the new was easier. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, by the way, this is going to be a journey for you. This is not going to happen in a special service where you're going to come up and say, Jim, lay hands on me so I can have this too. I don't have it fully yet. Oh, it's here. But I'm learning how to taste it a little at a time. And be careful. God may show you things and you're going to want to tell everybody else. I stopped eating lunch on Wednesdays and I just spent that hour in prayer. And boy, God is just. A... And now you have to do the same thing, too. But don't don't go there. You're not the Holy Spirit. Let the Lord do with each of us wherever we are. Paul just said, I want to know Christ more. And all of you who are mature will think this way. But if you don't, Lord will show you that. 
You want to know what maturity is? It's hungering for more of Jesus wherever you are, whatever level you're at in your walk with the Lord. Hungering for more of Jesus, you're mature. But listen to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 13. In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, before I read any further, who is Paul writing to? Believers or unbelievers? Believers, very clearly, correct? For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's important. We'll talk about that later. The, the glorious inheritance we have in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And by the way, if you're curious what kind of power, it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to, in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Remember earlier we saw it, there's no Scythian, Scythian slave or free or barbarian. All, Christ is all and in all. You've already received all of God you're ever going to get. Now the question is, how much of you is he going to be allowed to have? In Christ, Colossians 2.9, the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. When many of us have been taught by churches that you need a second filling and another anointing and all this stuff. You've already received a deposit. You've received all of God. Now, Paul said, my prayer is that you'll allow him to open your eyes to the hope to which he's called you. The glorious inheritance we have in the saints and the power that's available for us to believe. And then he prays another prayer, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. All right, is he writing to believers or unbelievers? Believers. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's there. Let him take residence. That you, being rooted and grounded in what? In his love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, him, to him is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power already at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't miss this. You've already received all of God that you're ever going to get, but we're not yet filled to all the fullness of Christ. The word filled means under the control of walking in. How come Jesus put up with all that he put up with? Disciples walking away, a close friend Judas betraying him. The Pharisees saying that he was a demon-possessed person. All these things, as he was giving his life for the world, he lived his time in communion with the Father. And he would even say to people, I have food you don't even know about. But Jesus, you haven't eaten in a while. Yeah, but I'm tasting steak right now. And I want to encourage you. You know that sin is pleasurable. If you struggle with saying no to sin and yes to the good, ask God to answer this prayer of Paul for you. Oh, by the way, if you ask anything according to his will, you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know what? You have what you asked. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 says this, may, the God, may God himself direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Paul says, I know you're saved. I know he's already in you. My prayer is that Christ would be able to dwell, be in control at all times, that you would begin to understand the height and the width and the depth and the breadth. By the way, are you ever gonna get to the bottom of that or the top of that or the, no, you won't, will you? 
It's like diving in an area that goes beyond your ability to dive, but it's fun to explore. In the same way, enjoy the journey of getting to know Jesus more. The mystery of godliness is not seven steps to the Christian life. It's not 21 days to a new habit. The mystery of godliness is Jesus. Go to Ephesians 4. Look at verses 11 through 16. And he gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now stop real quick. He gave us pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, spiritual leaders to equip the church for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Folks, you've got to stop saying someone need to be saved, call the pastor. Someone's sick, call the pastor. No, the body of Christ. Remember how we're in Romans 12? Lord, I offer my body as a living sacrifice and you'll show me what your will is for me. And then he goes right into verses three through eight. Don't think yourself more highly, but in accordance with the measure of faith you've been given, if your gift is this, do it. If it's that, use it for the body of Christ. And then love each other, serve one another, forgive each other. May our eyes be opened and our hearts be enlightened to know the hope to which he's called us and the glorious inheritance we have in each other. And oh, by the way, you won't really ever fully move into understanding of the height and the width and the depth of the breadth of the love of God by yourself. That you together with all the saints would come to experience the love of God. Anyone that says, well, I'm going to just go off into a, the woods and I'm going to spend the next five years just experiencing the love of God. You won't. Because he's designed it to be experienced through each other. We need each other. That's why we need to all the more spend time together as is the manner and not forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some. And all the more as we see the day approaching. And then all this stuff that he prayed for us, unity. Considering others more important, all that stuff. Listen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Does it sound like it's something we're to get to slowly and it's a process? It is. So don't beat yourself up. If you're saying, well, I've wasted all these years. Relax. God's patient. He knows. And when you're ready, he gives you what you need. Paul even said a few times, there's more I'd love to say. But you're not ready for it yet. I can only give you milk. You're not mature enough for spiritual meat. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 16, verse 12. There's more that I want to share to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll show you these things in the same way. It might be that now is the time that God is saying, this is for you and you're ready for it. Don't let Satan come in and say, well, you've wasted your Christian life. No, I needed as a Christian to try to get better. And realize I couldn't. Made me a better preacher. You know why? Kept me from preaching. Just get better. You can do it. I couldn't preach it when I knew it wasn't working for me. Made me go to the scriptures and wrestle with, Lord, how do I do this? Where do I get victory over sin? And he begins to show me. Oh, but listen. Then we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, in every way, into who? Into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, we need each other. I need you. You need me. Let's begin to get to know Jesus more. And little by little, you're going to get a taste of steak every now and then. And oh, every now and then, your corn dog is going to get you. But you're going to go, you know what? I didn't like that as much as I thought I would. I'm going back to the steak. And it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a process. And we need to forgive each other. There's going to be days that we demonstrate this love. There's going to be other days we don't. And you know what? As long as we keep doing this together, 
we're going to get where he wants us to be because he's predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's already in us. That's what he's doing. And he's in that process of working on us. But let me just say, the mystery of godliness is Jesus. Paul said, follow me. What? As I follow Christ. Beware of any preacher that has come up with the latest way to the Christian life. Be, listen to the ones that point you to Jesus so that we'll grow up into him who is the head. If your pastor or your teacher or whatever is pointing you to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to get to know Jesus more, that's the person you can listen to. If they got the latest formula or system for church growth or whatever, watch out. It's not through steps or rules or any of that stuff. It's all through him. And I trust and know, because the word says it, he can handle it. I love how when Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, I quoted the beginning of that passage to you earlier where he said, Take, pay careful attention to yourselves and also to the flock that's under your care. He then tells them, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in from among the flock to take away or pull away disciples after themselves. And I've warned you night and day with tears. Listen to what he says next. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. He didn't say, here are the things you're going to have to do to watch out for these guys. He just said, go walk with Jesus and he'll show you how to handle it and what to do. Watch out for men. Get to know Jesus. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks.